Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode's that egregious film known as Tomorrowland. On Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film in a series topic, we cover six films that fit A, C for classic, I for indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, and I am a very bitter super genius who can't get over the robot girl I fell in love with 50 fucking years ago. <laughs> Uh, hello, I am Brian, and I am not an optimist, but I'm tired, and I have a headache, so, you know, bear with me. <laughs> I, look, I get that, especially in, like, recent years and such, I get that very firmly. But uh, we're not the only ones here, Brian. Uh, we have a guest on today. Uh, he, you know, you might have heard him on a podcast like Sequels, or you might have read his work on CG Magazine, or you might know him from, for some reason, being a buddy of mine for far too long. Probably. <laughs> uh, is Mr. Shaquille Lambert. Shaquille, welcome to the new show. Welcome. Yes, hello. I'm glad to be here. This is uh, this is new. This is fresh. This is exciting. Yes, for sure. Just like tomorrow Completely land. different. Yeah, it's, it's tomorrow. <laughs> yes. It's the future. It's, it's, yeah, we're in the future right now. <laughs> right, we're in the future with jetpacks and Hugh Laurie's, all our favorite new inventions that we want. <laughs> Man, listen, imagine coming to the future. The first thing you see is house. <laughs> It's like, oh no, do I have lupus? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Shaquille, um, I decided to invite you on for this uh, because you were uh, graciously on our Patreon review of Saw X. We did that. It was not on the Patreon for those antics, mm -hmm. those wild, that wild yes. fun that we oh, had. Oh, a great review. I loved it. <laughs> yes, a lot of fun. Would recommend listening to that. But the thing is, uh, after that, we were kind of shooting the shit, and I told you about this upcoming Disney season. And mm -hmm. you were very curious about our E for Egregious, uh, which this will be about Tomorrowland, the 2015 film. Because when I told you that they won the Patreon poll, you were still fascinated, like, okay, I want to do it. Um, and I understand you hadn't seen it before, right? This is yes. one you hadn't seen. So what drew you to being on the show for that? I mean, the two main things were just, one, I just remember it being very hyped up, especially, like, Back in, yeah, back in 2015, because obviously, yeah, it's the new Brad Bird movie, and he's had a pretty stellar track record up to that point. And then just another, with with Disney trying to do the whole, like, adapting a ride into another, like, a big blockbuster, I was very curious, especially with that trailer. That, in that first trailer that came out that showed, like, the scene with Britt Robertson grabbing the pin for the first time and just showing, like, glimpses of, like, this cool potential future, I was like, okay, this seems very intriguing. And so for the reception to come out that it was middling at best and the movie was a huge box office bomb, I was just so curious to find out what happened. Or, like, why did everyone take to this? Because it seemed like almost a guaranteed hit. In theory, yeah. I think a big thing with this movie, which Brian and I were kind of talking about this when we were starting the planning for this season, about, like, we both wanted to cover a Disney movie from sort of this weird era in the 21st century where, like, 
Disney was so gung-ho about, like, we need to make things for boys. Pirates of the Caribbean had done very well. And so it's like, we need to have another Pirates of the Caribbean type franchise. But we hadn't bought Marvel or fucking Star Wars yet. So let's pull out all the stops. Let's do... Wait, had they not yet at this point? Well, no, to be fair, when they were initially developing this, I believe they had bought Marvel but not Star Wars. Okay. Right. Because Force Awakens is the same year. Yeah. There is a point where they they literally play the Star Wars music. So I was like, oh, this must have been, like, fresh in the acquisition. (laughs) Yes, very fresh. I'll say that much. But, yeah, so it was definitely, like, this is, I think, the last lingering example of that, though. Because after Star Wars and, you know, the big Marvel train hit, they didn't even bother with trying to do new things for, like, (laughs) boys. And what what fascinates you about that particular period, Brian? Yeah, this is, like, I'm fascinated by this period of, of Disney where you say, like, they are trying to make stuff for boys, but they're also trying, like... They haven't acquired Marvel yet, or and Marvel is kind of working with them. And like at this point, some of them have come out, and like they're building up. But like this period in the t- you know, late two thousands, early twenty tens, where Disney is doing really big projects because like CGI is kind of easier to work with. Like Avatar and everything has come out; it's made kind of it more you know easier to kind of do big stuff, especially when you abuse your VFX teams. Yeah, which, yeah. But, but like, yeah, this time where they're making, like, Tron Legacy and, like, John Carter and all of these stuff where, like, it's not that they're original films, right? Because they are, like, part of Disney in some way. Obviously, Tomorrowland is, like, a part of Disney. But they are, like, very interesting projects in that they are very big, like, over $100 million for the budget. They're getting you know, interesting directors to make these, like, I mean, they got Sam Raimi to make a fucking Oz movie. Um, yep. And so it is this, this really interesting time where Disney's making, like, I don't know, like, at this point where, like, Disney doesn't really make this type of stuff anymore, and when they do, it's kind of relegated to, like, Disney+. Plus. I, I kind of yearn for when Disney was doing this kind of thing, and this is what I find so interesting about Tomorrowland, is it's kind of one of the last of these uh you know these types of movies of like live action you know kind of things and it's just such a fascinating period because we don't get those anymore because it's all marvel star wars ip kind of stuff yeah because this was the time when disney in their very binary gender kind of marketing schemes were trying to market specifically to boys where like disney was trying to promote like they have obviously the disney princess stuff for girls and they were trying to promote like Mm -hmm. boys can dress up as pirates like that's the contrast that they were trying they were very desperate to get that market (laughs) (laughs) because that's what every boy wants to be right a pirate as opposed to a superhero (laughs) or luke skywalker fuck that shit pirates all the way listen listen you got kids at eight years old going like i want scurvy (laughs) hell yeah of course I don't want to eat fruits either. Yeah, I'm gonna pillage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think it's it's very curious, especially considering like how much money they would put into like and mainly even some like Tron Legacy, which is still like baffling that they did that in terms of like let's do a legacy sequel to a movie that wasn't that big like 30 years ago, and let's see how that turns out. That or even like I think the most egregious example, quite frankly, is uh, the Prince of Persia movie. With Jake Joan Hall for a oh, lot of man. reasons. What a stinker. Yeah. <laughs> God, I saw that in theaters, man. God, Oof. that was so bad. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I'm guessing, Shaquille, you were also like a young man around this time. Did any of yeah. that stuff appeal to you at all? 
at this particular point? Did any of that really like glom onto you? Did Disney ensnare you at this point? Not. I mean, like I still like like to to an extent. I still like Disney, but I was never really yearning. Like I was never all that big on Pirates of the Caribbean in general. Like I I do like those movies for the most part, and especially nowadays for the big ass wild swings that it takes in those sequels. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I was never like ingratiated into like the Disney brand of, of like making this my personality or thinking, Oh, I'm all about Disney. I don't, I still don't fuck with that. No. Yeah. Um, but I guess before we get into Tomorrowland, we should address, as you mentioned, Shaquille, the Brad Bird of it all. Cause this mm. is uh, Brad Bird, who, for those of you who don't know, was the guy who initially worked on an animation with like the Simpsons directed two great early episodes with yes. uh, Krusty gets busted and my father, the clown <laughs> two amazing episodes of that <laughs> great show. episodes. Yeah. Yes, um, and worked there for a while, and then did the Iron Giant um, over at Warner Brothers, and then uh, the Incredibles and Ratatouille for Pixar, and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol over at Paramount. So, like Shaquille mentioned, he's really on a high going into this, and I think it's fair to say we're all fans of Birds. Of course, oh yeah, work particularly, yeah. Quick, just quick side note: um, when I watched the Iron Giant, before no, actually before I watched it. Do you guys remember watching, like, the Pokemon, like, VHS, and they had the trailer for the Iron Giant and completely sold it as an entirely different movie than what it actually was? For As a kid, I thought it was a thriller until I watched it. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, this is basically E.T. with a giant robot. Well, I remember there was a trailer that was more, like, kid-friendly, like, almost Nickelodeon-y, where yeah. it's, like, they emphasize, like, oh, he's burping and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, ooh. No, for you, for, like, that trailer, it was like, oh, this is a Twilight Zone episode, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they did not know how to sell that movie whatsoever, Um, which is a shame, because it's amazing, and obviously one of my favorite movies. I got Little Iron Giant right here. Hell yes. Hell yeah. Hell yes. Just like at at the store, at the Blast from the Past. Oh, that's true. I went went on the shelf. They had the poster, too. Yeah. Yep. Along with some Simpsons Easter eggs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, this is interesting as kind of like, it, it's his second, and at this point, his only, or his only two live action films. And so that's another thing that's really interesting is like, he's made Ghost Protocol, which like, is insane, because it has like one of the most insane set pieces of the past decade. And yeah, it is just really interesting of like, okay, what's he going to do next in live action? Um, and it is this movie, which is so bizarre <laughs> truly yeah um but but yeah it's especially interesting watching this considering the real like amazing tracker that he had before and just that command of story that he has which is so great like in all of those movies even like a ghost protocol it doesn't need to have any like emotional heft or interest still like really kicks into a different gear and like i think is truly responsible for that franchise being what it is now Oh, yeah. As much as, like, the other three movies before it were all very odd. That one really sets the template going forward. Like, I still go up for three as, like, one of the better <laughs> things J.J. Abrams has done. But, like, yeah, four really is pretty much the one that's kind of set, set the modern standard of, like, we need the massive, like, only Tom Cruise can do this stupid, insane stunt. Type right. Any animation director, if they want to break into live action, should work with Tom Cruise. Because that man is a sentient, like, cartoon character at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I, I remember kind of, like, and I've seen, like, the behind the scenes of, the of like, the whole Burj Khalifa scene. And, like, it is just that thing of, like, Tom Cruise is an insane man. And he needed an equally insane director to let him do that sequence. Because 
Brad Bird has that kind of reputation for being very, a little intense, a little, you know. And so it, that's another thing that's so interesting about them, like, working together. Yeah, I would definitely recommend if anybody hasn't seen it, there's a documentary that came out about the Iron Giant that's on the Blu-ray that is very frank about <laughs> Brad Bird being like, look, I know what I want, and I demand it. Like, he's literally talking to, there's a early pre-production meeting where he's talking to all the animators, and he's like, guys, look, I'm not going to be, like, pussyfooting around like Disney does. Like, you're, it's going to be hard, it's going to be tough, but we're going to make a great movie out of this. I don't think... From everything I've heard, he's not necessarily malicious. He's just a lot. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like, on the scale, it's like slightly on like the higher tier, but not like full-on ego, like megalomaniac type nonsense. No, no, no. Like David O. Russell abusive shit. Exactly. Yes. We're not, yeah, we're not. Yeah, from zero to David O. Russell, we're not up there. I would argue David O. Russell is like the zero technically, like the bottom <laughs> barrel for that. Uh, but but anyway, yeah. So it, it's interesting him getting to make this movie, which let's just play the trailer now because we got to dive in. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. With Tomorrowland. With every second that ticks by. The future is running out. Newton? That's not mine. What's well, not yours? The pen. I've never... <laughs> what if there was a place? Dad, I just need you to look at this. Does it look weird? A secret place. Where nothing was impossible. You're not saying that! Casey, stop it! I want you to take me there. Take you where? Where'd you get this? Who are you, kid? What you saw was a place where the best and the brightest people of the world came together to actually change it. We've been looking for someone like you for a very long time. Why? Did something happen over there? Something bad? Of all the people, why me? He thinks you can fix the future. to see Tomorrowland. Here it comes. So Tomorrowland came out uh, Memorial Day weekend, May 22nd, 2015. What a big, big summer blockbuster for everybody to enjoy. What, what, a, what a fascinating attempt. Uh, written by Bird, along with uh, Jeff Jensen and Damon Lindelof, who's yes. pretty crucial to like this era of blockbusters in particular, because this is not too long after... He started doing stuff like Prometheus and, you know, the Star Trek oh, movies. Oh, God. I forgot. Like that. <laughs> I nope. forgot. Oh, right. Now hold on. You... <laughs> because we have some Prometheus <laughs> defenders on this on this episode. And who, it might be myself. Who is it? It's me. Listen, I know I just met you, but fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I get it. I that is, a, that is a whole different topic, I think. But Yeah, that's a whole side <laughs> note. <laughs> But Lindelof is someone who I find so interesting, I think. Like, and I mean, I've never seen Lost. I've seen, like, one episode of Lost, and then, like, 
I saw how long like and how many episodes there are in Lost, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this right now. But I love like the leftovers, and I love his Watchmen show, and mm-hmm. he's a really interesting part of like this, the kind of creative team behind Tomorrowland. I, I find really interesting. Yeah, and particularly, I a lot of people say he was basically the guy who made Star Trek 2009 what it was. Not so much Kurtzman or C, but like he's mm-hmm. a producer on that movie. But that's code for he probably did a lot of like uncredited rewrites right. on that movie. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, but this was actually his idea originally. He pitched this in 2010 to Disney. It's just like he wanted to make a big modern sci-fi movie based vaguely around the idea of Tomorrowland, which we should note, this movie is kind of based on the theme parks in as much as it's based on the vague idea of Tomorrowland, which is a land in Disneyland and world that's just like, the future is here. Come to Tomorrowland Mm -hmm. and ride Star Tours. Yeah, it's very like a... Like retro futuristic though it's kind of right. from my memory, which I I love that style. I'm so fat. I love just retro futurism in general, which is another reason why I think this really appealed to me because it is kind of taking that idea and running with it in this weird way. <laughs> yeah, They're taking a lot of like the sort of interesting. If you hear anything about the original Walt Disney plans for what he wanted to do with Epcot, where it's like right. this isn't a theme park. This is a city of the future. <laughs> That I want to basically craft. Yeah. Yeah. Dude literally wanted to, like, make a little thing in Florida that's just like, this is my city that I run. Where, like, he literally was like, I hate that there are slums in cities. I want to make it illegal to have slums. Listen, (laughs) dude... I know you don't play video games, but that is just straight up Andrew Ryan and Bioshock. Oh, it's super Bioshock. Yeah, (laughs) So much of of this movie, though, is, like, Bioshock. Um, Yeah. Which... We'll get into a some family-friendly Bioshock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, it, it's also very interesting considering this was around the time people were making a lot of those like, "Hey, Brad Bird, do you like Ayn Rand?" And he's like, "No, I don't." Let me make this movie to kind of explain why I don't. Which is, I think, where a lot of the interesting story structure and the way this movie flows, I think, kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I'll just. Put all my cards on the table. Uh, I saw this when it came out originally. I was very confused by it. And I was very curious to revisit it. Um, and having revisited it and hoping that, like, oh, I, I want to, like, make this, like, this is, like, an underrated masterpiece or whatever. I want to rediscover it. Um, I have even more questions than I did previously. <laughs> it's not... I don't think this is a completely awful movie. I just think it is, like, a severely lopsided and poorly constructed movie, which is so odd for Bird. It makes me very much think that there was a lot of studio stuff in this, sort of studio oh, meddling, yeah. which is weird considering the main crux of the story is the first thing I would think Disney would be like, don't do this. Don't yeah. make the emotional core of the story what you're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's why I'm very sh- I think that's the main reason why I th- this is not on Disney Plus in America. Right. It is in Canada. Yeah, I, I think it's a main reason why it's like we're not gonna have this here in the states. It is. I mean, we were talking about this. Like, it is weird that this movie's not on Disney Plus, and like, I don't know. We, we were talking about the Prince of Persia movie earlier. Like, that's on Disney Plus, and yeah. I'm like, I, I watched that movie last night, by the way, and I don't know. I feel like they should be more ashamed of that than having Tomorrowland <laughs> on Disney+. Plus. Are you saying casting Jake Gyllenhaal as a Persian is a bit more offensive? When that movie started, and 
I, I just, I did not remember anything about it. I think I'd seen parts of it when it came out, but when it started and he had a British accent, I was like, oh yep. no, this is going to be really bad. Yeah, like that's a worse Alfred... movie for sure. Yeah. <laughs> when Alfred Molina showed up, I said, oh no. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, But, you know, I'm curious, Shaquille. Yeah. Because we kind of talked about this off mic that, um, mm-hmm. When you decided to come on to this, I was very curious because as I was watching it, I kept thinking to myself, this feels like the least Shaquille movie possible on every level. <laughs> like the retrofuturism, um, a lot yeah. of this like kind of dorky stuff does not feel like your vibe necessarily. This, the, the the super optimistic, like, like here, the future is going to be great, guys, type of thing. Yeah, it is not my thing, but I still kind of want to ride with it just to see... Like, I do like seeing the interpretation. Like, it is refreshing, especially amidst, like, the millions of millions of fucking, like, dystopian media that we've gotten in the last, like, 20-something years. So I was, again, go up for it for the ride, but it is one where it peaks so early (laughs) that, like, I was, like, I was, like, waiting for it to get, like, interesting again. But, yeah, I was bored. Like, I won't say completely bored to tears because I did, like... I, I like George Clooney's character a lot, uh, way more than I thought. If anything, I think he's a character I personally identified with a bit more. But overall, it's just, it feels like something's very, like, it feels like it's missing a whole chunk of movie. Yeah, that, it that does. Obviously, they probably, like, hyped up for a sequel or something like that. But, like, yeah, it feels like they just removed a whole chunk of movie that would have been a much better movie than what we got. That is literally the case with one particular thing where, um, you know that bit, Shaquille, where there's the home movie? And you can hear her mom. Yes. Like, you're ready. Do you oh, know who that oh, is? Vanished. Yeah, Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Yep. I was like, oh man, is she gonna come back? No, she doesn't. She she <laughs> was apparently featured heavily as like she's alive and she's with like the whole family, and they co- cut her completely out in the middle of the summer where Judy Greer got fucked so royally. Yeah. Where it's like was this it Jurassic World. Years, Jurassic World. Oh man. Not just but also Ant Man. Where she's just doomed to play moms that are on the sidelines. Yes. And like, yo, I, I love Judy Greer and I'm, I'm so happy when she pops up in any movie, but a re- it is a real, like, it really sucks that she's not in more of this movie because like, I don't know. I, I'd rather have her than Tim McGraw, who I don't have any <laughs> Man, problems listen, with. But... Listen, I, I have nothing but love for Tim McGraw, mainly because of like, that song he did with Nelly is one of the best country songs ever made. <laughs> but him as a as a NASA engineer, I'm just like that's stretching a little bit for me. <laughs> it yeah, it's a little it's very weird. Yes, yes. Uh but you know what, Brian, why don't you talk a bit about revisiting cuz you had a similar thing to me where you saw us in a the theater and you I were did. curious to revisit. I did, yeah. And I when when I saw this I was not even remotely familiar with Brad Bird, really? I don't think. Um, I was kind of I was interested in it because it was a big live action Disney thing, and George Clooney was in it, and it looked really cool and interesting. And I, yeah, I, so I watched it in theaters, and I was kind of perplexed by it, but I kind of I kind of liked it. Um, and revisiting it, I, I was really curious how I would respond to this because I remember feeling literally split on this movie, where I thought the first kind of hour and some change of this movie where it is before they get to Tomorrowland is is great. And then I remember when they get to Tomorrowland, it being very weird. And a lot of the revelations I, I had, I was like, what is this? What, what is happening here? But 
rewatching it, I weirdly enough had a really great time watching this. And I think this movie is <laughs> weird. And it is, like you said, like it is, I think, far too ambitious for its own good, where it feels like there are like not just the Judy Greer stuff, but it feels like there is like there should be more movie. But it it's so weird. And like with the stuff, you know, the robots who are like chasing them, which feel kind of just put in there like haphazardly it, but at the same time i think a lot of the brad bird ness of it like i love i mean i think the best sequence in the entire movie is when they escape george Clooney's like house that yes. whole sequence which we can, we can get into a bit later but like yeah. i just think it's is great um and i will say i'm not a very optimistic person when it comes to like the future the future is great like i don't really think that way in any way but I'm kind of interested in like another movie that came out this year that I kind of has does a similar thing is Blackberry, which has that kind of intro, uh, which does the whole like in the future, this is what it'll be like. We'll live in this and all that stuff. And I find that idea really interesting of when we kind of thought that technology would improve all of our lives and make things utopian and great. And I, I like the way that this movie handles that idea of like, the reality of that, which is not, not even close to being what we thought it was going to be. Um, I do think that it's, it's very weird the way that this movie handles a lot of that stuff though, because it is of course still a Disney movie. So it can't really like grapple with those themes in any real way. I don't think, um, but I don't know. There's something about, I think a lot of the, more fun elements of this movie that I still find great because Brad Bird's a great director, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that is, is so weird and bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like weird and bizarre makes it sound a lot more fun than I think it personally is. Cause I think my trouble with it is like for a movie called Tomorrowland, it's a lot of like people in cars talking to each other about like, yeah. Oh, we have to go to this thing. What thing? Don't worry. We'll get there. It's a lot of that. <laughs> Which isn't nearly as interesting. <laughs> it's Are We There Yet, the movie, aside from Are We There Yet. Now, if Ice Cube was the lead of this movie, that'd be a lot Man. more interesting. <laughs> Probably would have given a bit more life than this movie had. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, because if you don't know out there, because you probably forgot this movie existed because Disney's buried it completely. Um, the basic plot of this is we initially start in 1964 at the World's Fair, where, in real life, Walt premiered, like, a few of the big attractions. Like, It's a Small World was there, um, and the Carousel of Progress, which is a similar kind of, like, it's literally a ride that you go into a circle, and it's all about, like, here's what the future will look like at our home, and look, there's, like, a, a fancy TV, because this is, like, 1964, <laughs> so it's like, wow, it's slightly bigger than the wood box we have. Um, and also, there's a, there was a third one that never came to uh, the Disney attractions, that's called Ford's Magic Skyway, where you, like, travel through history in a Ford. Oh, God. Oh, my God. So, like, that you see cavemen and shit. Shockingly, that didn't end up being at any of the parks. Well, it was oh, just like, man, no, let's not put that there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But, uh, yeah, at this World's Fair, we're introduced to uh, this little boy who will grow up to be George Clooney, uh, Frank Walker, uh, which is so close to Frank Walker that I kept thinking, like, is this the guy who voices Fred on Scooby-Doo? <laughs> like it's, it's so close uh but um he's this little boy who brings over his jetpack and introduces it to hugh laurie who plays one of the guys who's like house. at the world's fair trying to like get yes house himself 
uh, <laughs> who is just like, oh, what, what's this? What's this jetpack thing? She's like, oh, I'm I'm trying to make it work, but like it, it should work fine, right? If I just like do some tweaks, and it's like, well, is it going to benefit anything? It's like, well, if it's just fun, which is a weird theme they introduce there. Like, why isn't it just can't it just be fun that they don't at all do with the rest of the movie? That's like pretty much abandoned entirely. But it's the oh, whole crux up. for this kid, like just being like, "Oh, I want to make something fun." And then this little girl comes over, uh, Raffi Cassidy, and manages to fix his jetpack, and is like, "Hey, now you can use it. So now you can come to Tomorrowland, even though I finished your invention for you." <laughs> So you shouldn't really come to tomorrow. <laughs> You're a half-assed inventor. But, right. Yeah, but the whole thing is that he's uh, he's like a, what they they call him dreamers at some point, which is really weird. But like, yeah, very weird. <laughs> God. I I do I will say about this opening section though I do I like the whole like him getting on the it's a small world ride and it, like the pin like scans the or the the laser thing scans the pin which feels like a a lot of like very Bradbird gadgety stuff in this movie um yes. but that feels like very that um but i like that in the ride kind of opening and him going underneath like i i, I don't know i kind of like that stuff um no i like that stuff too and i like even when we're introduced to tomorrowland there where it's like oh now he's able to get into tomorrowland with this pin that's the whole thing is like he gets this pin and gets invited to like go into small world and then he discovers like a secret passageway and then he's able to go to this alternate city that's in alternate dimension usa <laughs> And he's invited basically to be with all the big thinkers, I guess. Like, they, that's the weird thing is this movie also cuts out so much about, like, what Tomorrowland really is, necessarily. It's a lot of this, like, kind of like, uh, you know, um, mystery box filmmaking, which was very popular at this Mm -hmm. time, obviously, with, like, Lindelof and J.J. Abrams, of just, like, don't worry, we'll tell you. We'll tell you. And they don't really tell you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so he's initially there, and then uh, we cut to modern day. Uh, where um, this young girl, uh, this 15-year-old who's played by a 25-year-old, Britt Robertson. Um, <laughs> is she supposed to be 15? She's supposed to be a kid. That's, That's... the weird thing. is like Because she goes to like a high school at a certain point. It's like she yeah, looks like I, she's yeah. out of college. <laughs> she, at this point. she looks fresh like a freshman in university. She does. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, but she has a, a cap on, which makes her clearly look 10 years young. <laughs> uh, but... Um, she's like this young, precocious kid who wants uh, to keep her dad's job at NASA because they're going to downsize and fire him. So she's defacing NASA property and being like, yeah, now this will change something, I guess. Um, and she's constantly in school, hears about dystopia and horrible things happening. And she keeps being like, well, why can't we do something? Let's right. do something about it. Okay, what? Uh, let's do something about it. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's like her whole shtick. So then while she's, uh, she ends up getting, you know, thrown in jail briefly. And while she's getting out, she's given this pin, the Tomorrowland pin. And when she touches it, she's able to transport to Tomorrowland. And when she lets it go, she's not there anymore. It's an interesting kind of, um, you know, magical gateway kind of deal. And all of a sudden, this, this little girl who we saw at the beginning, still a little girl, finds her. Um, mm-hmm. as she's like trying to find out about this pin from like this geek shop, uh, where uh, Catherine <laughs> Hahn and Keegan Michael Key are Man. the cashiers. <laughs> I have to be honest, the store looks really cool. I would love to just look around there. Oh, of course. <laughs> but like, I and like maybe this is me reading a bit too much into this. 
I find it really interesting that Brad Bird creates this like moat, like this museum to like pop culture of especially like Star Wars, all this stuff, and then he blows it up. I I don't know. I find that really interesting and like especially as this is when the MCU and Star Wars is about to like kickstart a new era for Disney. Um, I don't know. I just find that really interesting. Yeah, it feels like a weird thing. Like, let's do cross-promotion and then blow up the cross-promotion. Right, It feels exactly. a bit more like having your cake and eating it too to me, though, quite frankly. Because <laughs> it was just like, here's all this cool stuff and here's all these Easter eggs, but also I'll blow it up because I'm rebellious, even though I'm taking the Disney cash for this. It feels weird. <laughs> like a lot of this yeah. movie, like we were mentioning. So that starts her off on this journey uh, with this little robot girl uh, to try and, you know, find the George Clooney character, who's the older version of this kid we saw at the beginning, and then eventually reach Tomorrowland and question mark? And yeah, then just what do we do from there? <laughs> right. A lot of that. Um, so yeah, I think on paper, I like a lot of the stuff, particularly in the introduction, with stuff like when she does touch the pin, which Shaquille, you mentioned that was like the crux of the teaser trailer. I like mm-hmm. elements like that. There's a lot of elements here that I think are really engaging, even like individual sequences, like the big action sequence that happens at the uh, the geek shop and stuff like that. A lot of fun things, but it definitely feels like, for some reason, this was just, like, very thin connective threads to different sequences instead of, like, an actual story to me. Yeah, like, I, I would... Honestly, I would agree very much so. Like... Yeah, the se- like yeah, like you said the sequences are fun. Like the 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 house like the house escape is amazing. And again, that's where I think the movie peaked. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like yeah, the 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 yeah the fight the comic shop was cool. And then yeah, even the way they play with like her touching the pin and trying to f- figure out like how to get to Tomorrowland. Even like the sequence where she sees it extensively is very cool. But it, again, once it feels like they get to Tomorrowland, they l- have no idea of what they actually want to do. So it feels like they kind of crowbar this whole thing about like the future. Like and they want to talk about the future, but they don't really know in a way to find a way to make it tangible beyond this magical device that they come up with near the end of it. Yeah, I think it also doesn't help that like all this really starts off wonky for me with like the opening bit before we even get the flashback. Is like they introduce like a weird wraparound thing, where it's oh, George right. Clooney. Terrible rap, it's awful. That. It's god awful. It might be my. It yes. might be the worst part of the movie. I think you could like. It, there has to be a different way to sort of do that that whole thing, and like I feel like a lot of it is based on just like let's just have George Clooney at the beginning of this movie. America loves him. Let's just put him there. Especially because he's not going to be in here for another hour of the movie. Well, right, yeah, that, I feel like that's <laughs> another thing, and like I really like Britt Robertson in this movie. I think she's quite good, even though her her character is kind of a bit archetypal of that, like, precocious teenager who, like, thinks that it, thinks that they can change the world and all that stuff. But I think that she's quite good, and, like, I think Rafi Cassidy's really good as well. Like, she obviously, like, goes on to... She's now, like, a, a proper actor and everything. But, like, yeah, I, I think the, the cast is really good. And, like, I really think Clooney is great in this movie um and i think it, like a lot of the stuff with him it it feels like why they got george clooney because he's an actor who can just pull that off really well i don't think all of it works but i think like it's at least i find him just really compelling and really charming when he's when he does pop up 
I don't know. I, I like him. How do you guys feel about Clooney in this movie? Like, oh, I thing is, I like, like I said, I liked him a lot. He's probably my favorite character in the movie because I, like, his story, his whole character's backstory could have been a whole other movie that they just right. didn't touch on. Like, even when they flash back a little bit to it at the end, it feels like you are leaving out a lot of major chunks. Because yeah, he does get exiled from Tor- Tomorrowland, but again, the glimpses we see doesn't really feel like that's nest like enough to warrant the exile in the first place but yeah every yeah every time he shows up i'm like like brie arbison is good i think she's also solid even though they like they're her right i feel like she's underwritten but she does well with what she has but clooney i think every time he shows up all right like i feel the magic of the movie that's supposed to be there right yeah, because I think the biggest trouble with the movie is how we spend that first hour with Britt Robertson, who I agree, I don't think is, like, doing a bad job here, but it is, like, archetypal, I think, is being kind to this character, because, like, <laughs> she seems very one-note, where it's all just about, like, her being like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And also, we need to fix the future, and, like, that's, those are the two notes she has to play, yeah. like, the entire goddamn movie, and there's just nothing else, really, to her character, I mean, there's, like, her problems with her dad and like her you know that that kind of struggle that she has uh with like oh my dad is like part of like this big thing of nasa but that they're downsizing it because they don't believe in the magic of technology and the progress of the future and all this other stuff and it it just feels like that conflict is not really enough to like get her to be that engaging when you spend the whole movie having her in the dark and also not being like a little kid inventor who invents things or really is that, like, active in the story until the very end where she's like, wait, I remember that thing my dad said that I repeated a couple times about inside you there are two wolves. Yeah. Which I found so funny. They just do the meme. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, like, it for her, really. That's, like, the only yeah. thing that she actively gets to do in the story. And when she's, like, our main character, it feels like disservicing her. And we do get Clooney who I think is kind of, he works especially as, like, the kind of, like, dejected guy who once had hope in his eyes. He, he believably feels like that. He's really good at that. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. he's, he's very good yeah. at that. But there's also, there's just, we need to address the elephant in the room in this movie. Yes. We need to, because it very much okay, relates we're to him. How he has a whole love, his lover just is a 10-year-old child. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> the whole twist is that this like this young girl who we saw at the beginning is a robot girl, an audio animatronic as they call it, which is another theme park thing. That's what they call any of the robots at Disney, uh, audio animatronics. So she stays eternally ten years old, but has the like mentality of an adult. And then Clooney, like obviously, like sees her and is like, "Oh God, you!" and like treats her like an ex, which is like yeah. really irksome. Even though I do agree that Rafi Casti is very good. I think Clooney's also very good, but the trouble is, like, that works for Clooney when it's, like, he's talking to, like, Julia Roberts or, <laughs> you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones, you know, like, an adult woman, as opposed to <laughs> him barbing with this girl. I don't think it's, like, intentionally creepy, but it just feels, like, so odd. Like, it's a tight rope to balance that, and they keep flopping over that rope. Man, you know what this reminds me of? 
I just thought of this just now. This reminds me of the book of Henry. How Sarah Silverman <laughs> and freaking Jane Martell have a banter that's supposed to be like na- friendly, like neighbors, but feels way too romantic, and it's oh, very off-putting. You just, just reminded me of the book of Henry, which I had, right, had which, not thought about since I saw. Which it. is a bit relevant in that around this time, Bradbird was very gung ho about saying Colin Trevorrow great director he reminds me of me and he should get more like he's the reason he got jurassic world like he recommended bradbird recommended to steven goddamn spielberg (laughs) that's why we have jurassic world so brad 2015 wasn't a great year for your suggestions (laughs) i don't think (laughs) truly a flop era 2015 for bird like like you're saying thomas like they are like it's a tightrope that you have to walk on and this movie is not is not walking it very gracefully there are small moments, mainly like just like their comedic bits, which I I, I like in this movie, um, that I I, I like because they're funny. But like, it is just a, a another weird plot thing on this movie. It's just like it's weird on top of weird elements that are just in this movie. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, were you also disturbed by all this Shaquille? Oh, absolutely. Like, at first I thought, like, when I saw the like the character, obviously I thought it was just an actual little girl. But then when she shows up in the comic shop, I'm like, oh, what the hell? Like, are, is she an animatronic? And then knowing that, like, oh, they kind of have uh, her and George Clooney's character have a thing together. I'm like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> like, you couldn't even, like, have the character be in, like, an older body or something like that. But no, they didn't. And it's very, very creepy every time they interact, especially like the last scene they interact. And she's talking about like how she potentially like had feelings for him and like when they were both like children and stuff. And you're like, don't talk about this while he's a grown ass man. Holding you in his arms. (laughs) Holding you in his arms. Yes. Yeah. It, It feels like they didn't really think that element through until they were like shooting it and they're like oh um uh fuck yeah. <laughs> it, it is very weird and like it, it i mean there there is a world where this goes like even worse yes but like like i, I think bird and lindelof still have like some semblance of grasp on that but i think like yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't work all the way and it's not really helpful like i i think raffi Cassidy is like the best actor in this movie i think that's the best performance of this because she feels believably like a robot girl who's beyond her years and has like so much actual like intelligence about what's going on here but it's just a trouble of like she's almost too good at once again having that kind of chemistry with Clooney that makes it so much ickier so much more yeah it is like if their if their chemistry is better it's weirder but you yes. need their chemistry to be better for the movie to be good. It's a very, yeah, it, it's it's a difficult kind of contradiction, I think. Right, which I think also makes Clooney's character seem even more petty than, like, obviously that's part of his, like, arc, is it? Like, oh, he, like, all of this resulted from his bitter feelings about having, like, the magic torn from him. And the magic was, hey, you're a cute girl. Do you like me? Actually, I'm a robot girl. Oh, everything's <laughs> fucked. It's all gone. <laughs> 
and I, it just makes it feel a bit more petty, especially when, like, we don't see, like Shaquille mentioned, like, much about, like, what actually got him specifically exiled from Tomorrowland. We just right. see him, like, being, like, kicked out. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're like, like walking Ohimo out, like yeah, like a, like a like he's kicked out of a club or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. If there if there was more reasoning, especially like maybe more of his relationship with like a Hugh Laurie, who was like such a non character in this movie, he he leaves for like th- like we talk about like George Clooney not showing up. Hugh Laurie is there for one scene, and then you completely forget he even exists until he, they show back up to Tomorrowland. You're like, oh, he's still around. Right, and he looks the exact same age, and he becomes our main villain. A forced villain. Truly a forced villain, on like every level. And <laughs> his whole thing, which we'll, I think we'll get to, because I have so yeah. much to say about like well. him. Because I think that's the weird trouble of this movie is like so much of it feels underdeveloped, but he, his whole like speech at the end is the only thing that feels at all fleshed out, and it's the least sort of like interesting kind of set, like a commentary you can do about our modern age i think mm-hmm. we'll get to it yeah we'll get to it um but but yeah i mean brian you're, we've been harsh on this movie and you liked it what's some other stuff that you like that we maybe haven't mentioned yet yeah i mean I, well a, a plot point i can't believe it took us this long to not mention that uh the eiffel tower is a uh a satellite <laughs> which is the right. one thing rewatching this i was like okay right the eiffel tower is a satellite i can't wait to get to that but then I forgot that it splits open, and then a rocket comes out of the Earth that takes them to the other dimension. And I just find that I like so unhinged in a way, where I'm just like, I have to respect this. This is so weird and interesting, and like I can't believe that this is a real plot point in this movie. <laughs> um, but I, I, I yeah, I, I kind of I like all of that stuff, and I, I like I mentioned, I mean the whole sequence of like the escape of the house, which I just, I love because of like all of the like traps that he has. Like I love the, yeah. the laser trap on the, on the door where like, it, it's like the guy's coming and Britt Robertson's about to like punch him and he's like, no wait. And then he passes like the doorway and it like slices him into like little like pieces, which is just so, Dude, it's, it's resident so cool. evil. It, it, it freaking rules. <laughs> yeah. And just all, all of the, just the, the gadget stuff like i love like in the um in the store the the blast from the past door like the time bubble thing where like her hand is stuck in there yeah and she has to like wait for the perfect moment it feels so like that's the kind of stuff that i love about like brad bird where like um weirdly enough one of my favorite sequences of like ghost protocol is um where they break into the kremlin and they have that like screen you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Like yes, that one. Yeah. yeah, it's like the fake video screen yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and it's all just like quiet. It's all visual. And I, I just love all of that stuff with Brad Bird. I love how much he loves like gadgets. I love all like the cool like laser gun things that they have in Tomorrowland. Um, although I love like the gun that the robots have where it's like the squeeze. Like it's like the, yeah. you know, it, it, they all just look so cool. Um, uh, and shout out to the guy Matthew McCall, who plays like the main one of those guys. I think is like the perfect kind of like evil robot dude, especially when like he encounters those. Looking. Yeah, especially when he encounters like the police that are like outside the blast from the past door, and he like disintegrates them. There's, <laughs> there's that, and then there's the shot where like he exits the car and like smiles to the camera in like a really like creepy like like this, <laughs> you know? Right, in a way that feels like, like an audio animatronic at Disney. 
Right. Yeah, it's like a super like uncanny valley thing, and it works. Yeah, it's creepy right. as hell. And like the whole little thing where he's like, you know, uh, when he when he shows up to George Clooney's house, and he's like, "You have one minute to comply," and then he gives a like creepy robot smile. It's yeah, it's really cool. I love that stuff, even though it does feel kind of underdeveloped in a way. Like that whole thing of like, oh, they have robots that go out and like terminator people basically they have terminators but like it i don't know i I still kind of like it from like a sci-fi kind of gadget perspective right which i think would be a lot better if we didn't once again have all the gaps between these cool sequences be just like talking around like what's happening with Britt Mm -hmm. robertson i yeah i would i agree and yet i like some of the banter that these characters have like i just I don't know, a lot of the comedic elements, maybe I'm just, like, a real softy, but I was, I was like, chuckling during this whole thing. Um, I, I like that, and that was enough for me, at least, although I agree with both of you guys. Like, a lot of the writing is very hit or miss throughout. I'm just curious, Shaquille, did, did did any of that, like, appeal to you? Like, what we're talking about, some of these, like, like futuristic the, the, things? No, the futuristic thing, I think, was really cool. Uh, and, like, as much as I'm not crazy, like... I. I'm not in love with retrofuturism, but, like, when it's done well, then I can always very much appreciate it. And so, yeah, like, the the stuff that, yeah, Brian's talking about, like, I did like the time bomb stuff. Like, the the actual action sequences themselves, I think, are very fun, albeit a bit too brief. Um, Mm -hmm. But then again, this movie's also, like, 130 minutes. So I know that they had a lot to do, and yet, again, with everything feeling undercooked, it's, it's weird that it's that long. Um, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to like the humor, the hit or miss stuff, it go- again goes back to like that opening like wraparound because their banter doesn't. Re- I don't think they have the chemistry for it. The they it feels like they're trying to establish a rhythm, but they don't have the right rhythm. Hmm. Yeah, I generally agree with that. I think especially like with Rafi Cassidy and Britt Robertson, where like I it's kind of frustrating where you just have like we're following this main character who is completely in the dark and doesn't have really a lot to her to contrast with a character who feels fully developed, but at the same time is keeping things close to the best. Sorry, yeah. Like that first sequence when she's finally like showing that she's a robot, when she like tries to steal that like dude's pickup truck and then he's have her like jump into the car and you're, and I'm just as confused as Britt Roberts and going like, what the hell is going on? Like, this isn't even like funny or creepy. I'm just confused. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the trouble is like it, it I want to be intrigued by like a sequence like that, but I'm so in the dark and this is not really revealing enough to me to keep me interested that I'm just kind of like confounded. I think that's the frustrating thing about this movie is it's not like totally bad in a way like we were talking like Prince of Persia or a lot of these other Disney blockbusters from around this time. So it feels just more frustrating when it's like you see these great elements and then it's just kind of like barely held together with like pins on like a clothesline kind of thing. It's like barely holding any structure whatsoever. Yeah, pretty much. And like, <laughs> you know, like what we were kind of what we were talking about earlier of like, there's so many elements that feel like it feels like there's stuff missing from this movie. Because I, I think this movie is very ambitious in what it's trying to like, obviously say about like society or whatever, and like the future and all this stuff. But like. It feels like it wants to do more, and yet it's already, like you said, Shaquille, like, it's already two hours and ten minutes, and, like, it can't do everything, and it's kind of, it is kind of a, yeah, like I, I said, like I said earlier, it's it's too ambitious, I think, but in a way, I kind of have to respect it a little bit for that, because I, I just, I, I, 
I will I kind of always just have to respect a a massive swing even if it does miss in some cases like this. But but, yeah. but no, I mean I get that, and I'm somebody who loves a big swing most of the time. I, I love truly when, especially like for a big Disney corporate product. Like right. I I love the idea of like Brad Bird taking that and making an interesting, very odd big blockbuster with literally like the budget of $190 million, Insane. which we should mention, like a very expensive movie. But it's weird how like it feels so sparse and yet not that intimate because the movie's keeping you at like a distance yeah. the whole time. Because it's a weird thing where it's like, oh, this big, giant, extravagant world, but there are like five characters in this movie, basically. Right. Like you said earlier, Thomas, like, and a lot of it is like they're in the car, in the truck, just talking for a lot of it, which even like... For me, which I kind of, I'm on the positive side of that, it is like, yeah, you want to see the ambitious big world that they've created, but it's, yeah, it, it does feel very sparse, like you said. And also, at the same time, like, that stuff in the car is not keeping you that engrossed in, like, these characters, necessarily, I would argue. Right. Like, there's a pattern that's attempted, but also, I'm not learning much about Britt Robertson or Rafi Cassidy, because, like, hold on, hold on, we'll get there. Hold on. Just, just hold on, we'll get there, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and for the, fi- and for, like, the five or six characters... Again, three of those characters you don't see for major chunks of the movie, right. so you forget they even exist. Like, man, whatever happened to her brother? It's like, all right, cool, nothing happens. <laughs> hey, he gives Raffy Cassidy the bit of exposition, so he was very crucial. That's what we needed him for. Um, that little kid, who, by the way, is the little kid from Looper trivia. That's, oh, oh, no shit. Oh, man. Yes. Cool. I thought he looked familiar. I'm like, oh, of course, it's a little kid from Luke. He, does, yeah, yeah. he did look familiar to me. I was like, oh, wow. Same, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it just feels like when we don't get that engaged in these characters, it makes a lot of those like big moments very frustrating because it's like there's a clear, like interesting idea to them. Like I love certain aspects like the design of the robots who we see, like the big so the robots are, like, moving stuff around, I think is interesting. Or even, oh. like, the whole sequence that, like, you were referencing, Shaquille, where it's, like, we see, like, almost it feels like a giant one-shot of Tomorrowland. Yeah. Uh, in action. Those little bits are so cool that, again, when we get to actual Toronto Tomorrowland, I know it's supposed to be, like, a big, like, that's it. Because, again, the world has kind of been a bit way more bleak than it should have been. But it's also, like, man, this just feels disappointing from just the movie standpoint like all right we finally got to our destination and everything just kind of sucks <laughs> especially when like we only get one shot of like tomorrowland in its prime where people are on jetpacks and especially I, my favorite thing honestly of this future is like the guy diving through multiple pools that are like separated out is like yeah. a super cool fucking visual but like we don't have enough time to like invest in what Tomorrowland is because we don't know really what it is. Even like mm-hmm. the only vague thing we get is like the thing in the Eiffel Tower that Brian was referencing earlier, where it's like, oh, um, it's Gustav Eiffel, uh, mm-hmm. fucking Thomas Edison, hack. How dare you have him there? The guy who stole <laughs> his fucking inventions. How dare you? Um, and then who are the two other guys? It's oh, oh yeah, sorry. Jules Verne and Tesla. Tesla, yes. yeah, because he did because. Uh, Clooney was going to go on a tangent about how they hate each other, like Edison and Tesla. Right. Yes. Um, but, yes, yeah, so they, they introduced, like, Plus Ultra, which was, like, a secret society of futurists who decided to create Tomorrowland as an alternate dimension, which the movie barely tells you anything about. Like, most yeah. of the exhibition that was going to be about this was, like, in a short film that Pixar made, which I'd recommend anybody actually see about, like, Plus Ultra. It's, like, a full-on, like, 60s-style, like, slideshow 
Kind of thing like Brian was referencing earlier, which is like, here's the future as envisioned by Thomas Edison and Jules Verne and everybody. Like it gave you a lot more of like what this actual Tomorrowland is, but that's not present at all in the final movie. Like, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 so disappointing because like I want to love it so much more. And, this, and again, yeah, those teases are cool, but man... Yeah, nothing. It, it, it just feels like it's it, it. It keeps me at arm's length from loving it every single time. It like every single chance it gets, and yeah, it's just it just becomes more and more frustrating as it goes on. How, how do you feel, Brian, about sort of the development of Tomorrowland in the final movie? I love like science fiction stuff. I I, I just eat it up like any sci-fi shit, and I like that sort of opening bit with like the um uh. With Britt Robertson, where she's like going through Tomorrowland, kind of like getting like the kind of uh, the tour of it, and but like, yeah, it, it is. It really isn't developed that much, and like, I, I mean, I we we'll get to kind of the ending of which, like, I have thoughts on kind of what maybe Brad Bird and Lindelof are trying to say with the place of Tomorrowland, but like. Yeah, it doesn't feel that developed. I, I like a lot of the like gadgets, like I said earlier, but like it, it does feel very underdeveloped, even though this is like it's kind of the crux of the movie. But it does feel like um you mentioned earlier, Thomas, like the kind of mystery box thing. And it feels like they are trying to keep it a mystery, right? Like it's like, we'll get to Tomorrowland and oh, just wait. When we get there, it's gonna be great. And like it, it does take a very long time and it's it's kind of that Lindelof thing of like, when you get to that payoff, it's a lot weirder than you would expect, right? It's not a very like, it doesn't follow kind of a traditional, like they get to Tomorrowland and then they kind of do the normal plot stuff that you would think. It's a lot more about the thematic elements, which are interesting. I think we'll, we'll get into that, but. I don't know. I you do you want to see more of it, but it is kind of a weird thing I imagine where like I don't know, if they show more of it, is it revealing too much? I don't know. It's it's a a, fi- a fine line that I think this movie isn't walking because I don't think this movie's really not interested in kind of subtle nuanced uh storytelling really. No, yeah, I think I agree with what Shaquille said earlier. The far more interesting movie is the one about, like, George Clooney being put into exile and finding out more about, like, what his role in Tomorrowland is, how he interacts with all the other people in Tomorrowland. That would be, I think, a far more interesting movie than, like, this one, once again, where, like, there's a world where, like, I would love the Britt Robertson movie where we find out more about Tomorrowland and we investigate this, but that's not really there, once again, because she's, like, she's not finding out anything, she's not inventing something to, like, kind of help out with anything, she's just kind of, like... Along for the ride with the audience, just like, guess what, guys? I don't know much either. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm just kind of perplexed <laughs> the whole time. Um, but but yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the the Hugh Laurie and all the the climax here, because okay. that's where sadly the meat of the movie kind of is. <laughs> where like yeah. Hugh Laurie has apparently been in this abandoned Tomorrowland that we finally get to after the big Eiffel Tower sequence, and he's been apparently not aged at all because of his shake that he references, that he drinks daily. Uh, it comes in chocolate now, uh, as they say. That's really um, <laughs> a funny bit. I'm not denying that. Uh, but, yeah, then Hugh Laurie basically tells them about, like, oh, yeah, you know what? I, everyone left Tomorrowland uh, because you all were too invested in your dystopian fiction. 
That's right. He's calling out dystopian fiction. Uh, and he's doing that by presenting the horrible version of the world initially as a warning. And then he's like, oh, no, you all didn't move a muscle for it. Because you all love Mad Max and all these other, like, dystopian future <laughs> ideas. Um, and it pisses me off. And it feels weird because, like, I get that Brad Bird and Lindelof and everybody's trying to make that guy out to be the bad guy. Because, in theory, like, Laurie is supposed to be kind of like that Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged kind of guy. Right. Where he's like, the smartest mm-hmm. people have to be separated out because you dummies don't get how smart we are. And right. we're going to, like, make sure to develop, like, all the great, awesome things here, and you all get to suffer on the earth that you created. Kind there's, of the, there's the line he has where he's like, if we let everyone into here, then what happens there will happen here. Right, which, like, that's supposed to be, like, the bad guy right. kind of thought process, yeah. right? But the trouble is that his whole speech, which he goes on, like, a five-minute fucking tear... <laughs> about this which feels to paraphrase another simpsons thing old man yells at cloud quite frankly kind of thing because he just spends the whole time being so angry about dystopian fiction and like really like unveiling like this whole backstory about like his motivation and when that's like the most developed sort of motivation you have in the movie it makes me almost think like well you didn't have much else to say beyond i hate dystopian fiction and how it does gives people less hope so it's it's like like dude i don't know (laughs) Yeah, Hugh Laurie literally stops the movie to say, "Hey, I don't like this." <laughs> right, and that's why I was really curious about you, Shaquille, coming on to this oh. because yeah. this is the within a week of Mad Max Fury Road, which Dude. I believe is like your favorite movie of all time. My right? favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Literally a right. week later, just talk to shit. <laughs> right, talk Dude, to shit I by just... someone who no one heard, basically. Exactly, no one heard it, so it didn't even matter. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, trust me, I thought the the hilarious irony of this of just like, oh man, because yeah, twenty fifteen, Mad Max Fury came out in May. 15th and then this came out on the 22nd yes. so yeah how hilarious the timing is of like one of the greatest works of dystopian fiction <laughs> coming out right after like right before somebody going hey dystopian fiction kind of sucks <laughs> is is just funny to me i, I couldn't it's, stop laughing for like five minutes right especially when like quite frankly as like dystopian as mad max Fury Road is I get far more hope for the future out of that story than yeah. anything in this fucking movie. Literally. <laughs> like, you could even just take the sequence alone of just when they push the water back and onto the people and how they're free from their murderous dictator piece of shit. Yeah, you get a better sense of, like, man, I feel like I want to do something. Like, it, it, like, not inspire the world, like, not on that grand scale, but you feel better about the world than you came in from it. This has like yeah it has that whole speech and then it has a whole montage at the end because the wraparound being about um essentially talking to like the descendants of a of athena like the the robot like the new robots go and find the people in the world the dreamers it felt very obnoxious and preachy not helped at all by the fact that ending looks truly like a car commercial i rolled my eyes (laughs) (laughs) you know you know what this came like you know this come across I saw someone, I can't fully take credit for this because I saw someone mention this on Letterboxd. It feels like something out of the newsroom. And I hate the newsroom. There's a lot One of, of sorkin bits to this. Shows yeah. Of all time. Yeah, for sure. But, but Brian, I'm curious, how do you feel about all this stuff 
with like Laurie and the the anti dystopian fiction element of it. I mean, well, one I find it really interesting. I couldn't help think, but think of um, of Interstellar with thinking about this in terms of like that movie has a similar like. Oh, no one wants people who make technology. We don't. We don't want technology, technological advancements. No one. Want, no one cares anymore, and and that. But also, I find it really interesting that by the t- like since this movie has come out, things have gotten like worse. <laughs> like I don't want to be like that person. <laughs> oh no but, no, I definitely <laughs> thought this. Right. I'm like I'm like you know they're talking about like you know climate change and all this stuff, and I'm like. Don't worry, Brad. In like five years, a pandemic will lay bare like many systematic problems wrong with the world. <laughs> but like, okay, this is kind of my take on this. I, th- I I find it interesting that, yeah, like Bird has that whole like Randian kind of, you know, the accusations thrown against him, which I think are kind of interesting because he, like the Hugh Laurie character, I, I agree with you guys that I think he's not a great villain because he's kind of like last minute thrown in there. But I do find the ideas that this movie presents, like they are very preachy, I think. And they are very, a little condescending, but I don't know. There's something I think interesting about the way he turns kind of his, that idea that he has of like the smartest people in society should just be able to do whatever they want in a, in a place Free of politics, to quote the movie. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Which feels like a very dumb idea of, like, guess what, guys? Trying to help out the world is an inherently political position. (laughs) Again, it goes back to Bioshock. We're like, hey, if you do this, in, like, three years, you're going to have a civil war and everybody's going to be fucked. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I think, like, the whole, like, the, the thing that people throw at Brad Bird of, like, oh, you know, you are that, you know kind of rant you have that randian perspective I, I like that he kind of turns that into like it isn't that it isn't necessarily the fact that like i'm, I'm trying to be very careful with the way I wear right this, yeah that's like, a very this is another tightrope <laughs> not quite the raffy cassidy george clooney tightrope but there's something i like about his idea of like no it is it's just that people need to like care Right, it isn't that people need to like go out, do something, and whatever, be the like, inventors or whatever. That I, I, I don't know. There's, there's kind of, I like the simplicity of it being like, just that she cares and has. It's very kind of, uh, again, it's preachy and it's not. It's a little clunky the way it's like, the message of the movie is. But she's optimistic, and that that means that she'll save the world. But I don't know. I I find it interesting more from Brad Burr's perspective of like. Really, it's just about people caring, but I will agree with you, Thomas. It does look like a car commercial at the end, and yeah. it's very preachy, like you said, Shaquille. Like it, it, it feels a bit <laughs> condescending, but I don't know. I, 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 I don't love it, but I'm, I'm at least intrigued by it in this weird way. The frustrating thing to me about it is like I think you have the perfect way to like identify a lot of the things that you're talking about, where you have like. George Clooney, who's the, the guy who used to be a dreamer and is completely cynical and better now. And then you right. have Britt Robertson, who was like the optimistic young girl who's just like, everything, like, I, we need to do something and help things out. And you are a smart person who could help us if you cared. And like, that's an interesting contrast that would have benefited from, I don't know, 
the two of them being in the movie together a bit more maybe yeah yes. and having that contrast really develop <laughs> and then having this point that you're referring to actually flourish instead of like Hugh Laurie at the end being like well I'm even more cynical than George Clooney so right. everything sucks and I'm gonna get crushed by the Epcot ball which is also an interesting bit of like design oh, that, was, that was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean like I I, I kind of I, I'm I'm at least intrigued by the way that this movie is like, and especially the way it's aged now of like, I don't know I found it really interesting the way that much like Bert Robertson's character it's very easy to be inundated with this like the world is awful like everything is awful things are the world is ending kind of shit which is like you know just log on to Twitter and that's all it is but like. That element kind of interested me of just, like, it is very easy to fall prey to that. And I think it, the movie's a bit very saccharine, very sugary, like, but if people care, then the world will be a better place. It's not handled well, but I'm at least intrigued by that idea. Um, yeah. Especially from Brad Bird, who, mm -hmm. like, you know, obviously, you know, that idea is kind of interesting in, in, in his career. Right, but the frustrating thing about it is, like, it's handled from the perspective of not somebody who does live in the now, but someone who feels clearly just very nostalgic about, like, 60s-era retrofuturism, which is, right. like, the frustrating thing, especially when you consider, yeah. like, a lot of elements of that, when you actually look into it, feel um, very irksome and have, right. like, like we're talking about, sort of, like, those Randian-isms that he's trying to avoid, but at the same time trying to, you know, say that, oh, no, what we shouldn't, like fall prey to those kind of things we need to be positive and that's like enough it almost feels like is this like a care bears movie where it's like we have to just care and yeah. that <laughs> solves everything it just it's it just presents all this stuff about how like oh it's awful like this dystopian future is like making us feel cynical and it's hurtling us closer to oblivion and it's terrible and the counterpoint is jetpacks that's like cool, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and I mean, like, on paper, I really like the idea of that sort of mystery box leading you of like, we're going to get to Tomorrowland. You you won't believe it. It's going to be great when we get there. And then like that sort of Lindelof idea of like, when we get there, the movie stops to a halt and kind of like talks about its message for a while. On paper, I really like that idea. And I like the sort of subversive nature of that. Mm -hmm. But it it's not executed as well as I think it should be. Um, which is a shame because I, I love Lindelof and Brad Bird, but I just don't think they have a, it's not handled well. I don't think. Yeah. The it's also not, not there. No, the synthesis isn't really there. It's, it's not really helped at all by the fact that like he directly contributes, like somebody learning about George Orwell in school to somebody beaming images of like horrible climate change to make people feel like they can't do anything about anything. Right. I especially, do when love... just, especially when you can see like in the recent years where how much of it is just like, Oh yeah. Like climate change isn't like a problem that like one person can solve with like an invention. It's like a systematic problem. It's right. inherently like mm -hmm. formed by like governments being like completely unresponsive and shit like that. It just feels like it's very naive in a way that, like, I could see embracing for, like, a big Disney blockbuster movie. But when you, like, really hone it so much in, like, our modern world, it feels so much less, like, intriguing to me. Because it's just like, well, you're, you're like, 
putting this too much in our real world to where when we do get the vague like sci-fi things we get here, it just feels kind of like superfluous. And it makes me feel just more bummed than anything. <laughs> it feels like they put it there just because they have to, just to make it like a summer blockbuster, as opposed to like just taking it out entirely. Yeah, this definitely yeah. feels like a movie that like either needed to be thirty minutes longer or thirty minutes shorter. Yeah, I think it's its biggest fucking problem. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that a weird in between where it's too long, but it's just too clunky to exist in its current form. <laughs> But I, I do want to say at least, like, there's some stuff. Like, I do like the production design of Tomorrowland. Like, when we do see it, like, I like that building, oh, yeah. which I believe is, like, mm-hmm. a real, like, campus building or something in L.A. Um, oh, word? Like, added to it. I believe so. You can fact check me on that. But I believe, <laughs> like, they just kind of, like, added on to, like, an existing architecture. Um, for, like, that main sort of Tomorrowland hub and stuff like the... Some of the, the 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 bit where like we see like the big one shot of Tomorrowland and we have like the guys in like the suits and they go over like come on we gotta charge our jetpacks and then go up oh, I love, like I like these hints that we get I love the at, like, like what this world is that like weird suit for when they fall <laughs> you know yes. I love oh the, that. the, the airbag <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that um and I'm sure you love those big robot guys oh so cool i love the one who like at the beginning fixes his little jetpack and gives him the little thumbs up it's so yes. cool <laughs> and like like you were saying like to go off of this a little bit like we mentioned this a lot uh on our guardians of the galaxy episode but like this is also a time when disney's making these hundred plus million dollar movies and they at least at least kind of the, the visual effects elements of this movie look like they cost that much right like yeah, you know, Tron Legacy looks like it costs $150 million. I think that movie fucking rules, by the way. But, um, you know, it's interesting to kind of get, like, these movies that at least look expensive and are expensive, whereas now I think a lot of the stuff that Disney puts out looks like garbage. But Well, versus even at the time, you have, like, this is That's not too true. long after Pirates of the Caribbean 4, which is one of the most expensive movies of all time and looks like ass. Awful. Yeah. yeah. Truly. Looks like such an awful movie like um, at the very least it looks like it was shot in real locations for the most part like even like that one shot of like Hugh Laurie and um George Clooney on the beach it's like all right this is like a real yeah, place yeah. and not just like a video screen that they just wrapped around them it's not in the volume or whatever which right they would definitely do this now but yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah I mean yeah it's just again part of this these these wild swings that they were making and like a John Carter where that movie is also very weird for other reasons, but um, yeah, it's a very interesting time for Disney. Yeah. So would you say this is like the worst Brad Bird movie? Oh yes. But that, but it is the worst Brad Bird movie, but even then he had such a high bar that anything under than just like straight excellence would have been the worst. So, like, it's by, like, no means is it, like, the worst Disney movie. Like, Disney's put yeah. out worse <laughs> movies it within this past decade. Within um, this last six months, probably. <laughs> yeah, yes. Within this last, like, six months. <laughs> so, like, by all means, it is a misfire, but, like, I respect it. Like, no ma- like even though it, I think it's preachy as hell, I do respect the swing. Like, like you guys talked about, it. a big swing. I'll always go go up for it in some way, shape, or form. So I, yeah, it's bad, but not that bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I mean, even I'm like positive on this movie. Like, I like this movie, and it, I guess, by default is. But like, I have my Brad Bird ranking on here, and if you take Tomorrowland out, his 
quote-unquote worst movie, in my opinion, is Ratatouille, which is a fucking masterpiece. And, like, I, exactly. I love that movie. And, yeah, he has just – he has a really great track record for, for movies. And I think this is a really interesting kind of, like – hey, remember that guy who made The Incredibles? He made this weird – movie with george clooney like yeah it's it's very interesting but it is i guess by default his worst movie yeah and i did feel at the same time like i because I, you mentioned john carter and that's of course andrew stanton another pixar director yeah. who graduated from pixar and was like i want to do a big ambitious blockbuster movie and that one failed i think even more than this one did <laughs> yeah. uh for sure <laughs> and then uh he had to like go back to pixar and make a finding dory And Brad Bird had to do a similar thing by going back to making Incredibles 2, which is a much better movie than Finding Dory. Absolutely. Um, But I would argue, but I would argue still feels a bit more depressing to me because like I like Incredibles 2, but it feels so much just like, oh, Brad, you had to like come back your tail between your legs. Oh, trust. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like it's like Incredibles 2. Yeah, it's still really good, especially like in the latter half, like the most recent couple years of Pixar, it's. I would say it's a better than a chunk of them, but yeah. yeah, overall, like it's still, it still feels like he's missing a step that he was that, like that energy that he was feeling in Incredibles one doesn't really feel like it's as potent as it is in, in the second movie. Yeah. I would argue that's my least favorite above Tomorrowland. <laughs> yeah. I would say. And even still that, I think it's a really fun movie, but um, it, it still feels at the same time. Like the passion isn't quite there as much mm-hmm. listen he needs to get back on like the, the right foot what, what is he doing nowadays <laughs> i don't know he's one of those guys who like he's got like a bunch of things in development i know he was gonna like he was supposed to make a musical with michael giacchino which shout out does a oh, great score actually, oh, yeah the music in here is great the music I, is I, yeah, great we forgot, we forgot to talk about the score here yeah fantastic yeah giacchino rules one of the best composers working today for my money like the batman is one of the best comic book like superhero movie scores of the past decade maybe like the score mm-hmm. for that rules he's he's great i love him his doctor strange theme is like one of the few memorable <laughs> mcu scores yes. yeah yeah but by the way uh brad's bird's next movie is ray gun which is the movie he's been trying to make for a while um and he's finally getting to make it as a 2d animated feature with skydancing animation under John so, Lasseter. Yep, he's with Uh-oh. John Lasseter. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I still remember when that press release came out when he announced he was going to do it. It's like, I can't wait to work with a bunch of producers at Skydance and John. Brad. Come on, man. Brad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. But, yeah. I don't know. So, <laughs> he's in a very precarious place. So, we'll... Uh, also, at the same time, I'm still curious to see anything that dude does. Because, like you mentioned, even with this movie which is so, like, lopsided and stuff. It's only because, like, I see so much of that greatness in this movie. It's trying to leap out. It's trying to, like, cohere. But it feels very compromised for maybe a number of reasons. Like, there's a bit of Disney-isms there, but there's also the factor of... Lindelof has said as much that, like, he made the grave mistake of getting the first season of The Leftovers and this at the same time, developing both of them. And you can oh, tell yeah. it feels very stretched thin with mm-hmm. this one in particular. Yeah. The Leftovers, by the way, a phenomenal show. One of my favorite shows of the past, like, few years, maybe. Um, it's on my endless watch list of things I'm going to get to, hopefully. It's, yeah, it's great. Um, I was tempted to do, watch it during the pandemic, but then I realized the premise of that show, and I'm like, oh, no, that would have been too, <laughs> Please don't. too that much to do that. Yeah. Then. 
dude, I tried, <laughs> I was on a plane recently and I tried to watch Twelve Monkeys and I'm like, I can't, I can't do it right now. <laughs> the, the, the virus thing is way too, it's still too soon, quote unquote. Yeah. Oh, especially when spoilers for that movie, it ends with like a shootout at an airport. So I would not recommend <laughs> watching that on an airplane. <laughs> Dude, you know what I watched instead? I watched Malcolm X. <laughs> I mean, for a long Dude, plane ride, that's a good one to go for. It was a five-hour plane ride, so it, it flew by. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, but you know what? Yeah, let's get to final thoughts, I guess, on Tomorrowland here. Let's, let's get to our final thoughts. Shaquille, our guest, final thoughts mm. on Tomorrowland. Man, Brad, I love Brad Bird, and I don't want to, like, shit on the dude, especially because, again, his track record is so high, but, yeah, like, Tomorrowland is just a real misfire. Like, it's, it is a bet. Like, it's not egregiously bad, even though I know this is in the egregious category. But it's just, in the sense of, like, his his filmography, it is pretty egregious. <laughs> but th- there's so much things I want to like, and there's things I want to love. But the re- movie keeps refusing to do so by just, yeah, not having that many interesting characters. Like, there's not a big interesting ensemble I think Britt Robertson and George Clooney are a mismatch, um, even though they're both individually solid. Uh, Hugh Laurie fucking taking the paycheck of paychecks. Um, and yeah, that ending is just... that. that the whole third act is just a fucking mess. And that's really just unfortunate because you can see the nuggets of potential that there is in there. It's got some cool inventive like, gadgets and and action sequences, but again... It doesn't coalesce to like a very good whole, unfortunately. But yeah, it, it's a big disappointment. Yeah, we didn't even talk about this, but in this finale, there's two big moments where characters stop all action to have a big, like, sort of speechifying thing. Because it's Hugh Laurie, and then Raffi Cassidy, as she's dying, talks for like eight solid minutes about, like, oh, by the way, let me reveal everything about your backstory, George Clooney, right before I die. We didn't even talk about the fact that during this last set piece, there's a bomb that they need to set off to, like, <laughs> destroy tomorrow. What? It's like a one kiloton bomb or whatever. It, it's insane. Which is insane to say, because I'm pretty sure that would kill literally everything within, like, of at least 50 mile radius right nope it just stops a big epcot sphere from doing its thing and then it crushes you Lori. listen brute robertson should be dead yes <laughs> <laughs> oh, um but i'm gonna i'm gonna let brian have the final word uh, as, as the most positive <laughs> and optimistic one um i'm gonna be my bitter george clooney self before he becomes Britt Robertson and puts on a hat and de-ages 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree largely with Shaquille. It's not, like, the worst possible one we could have done for Disney. Like, we could have done, in theory, like, A Prince of Persia or one of those pirates, like, non-Gore Verbinski sequels. But I think that would just be a lot more of us just, like, screaming at dumb details as opposed to right. this movie is a lot more fascinating as, like, sort of an E for egregious Disney pick because of what we're mentioning about, like, the time and place it was made in and the sort of where it fits in Disney history and even, like, a lot of the, like, theme park stuff, which, as the theme park guy on this podcast, in theory, I should be loving it. And there's fun stuff, like, early on, like, the World's Fair stuff or even you can see Space Mountain in the background in Tomorrowland and stuff like that. There's, like, Easter egg stuff, but it feels like a movie that's definitely like frustratingly put together. Cause like I mentioned, if it was 20 minutes sh- shorter or 20 minutes longer, I think it would make all the difference to either flesh out this world 
or make it a bit more of like a, a speedy action movie where it's like, let's get to this point, this point, this point and get to our ending. And it just doesn't quite get to either of those points. So it just feels like a frustrating kind of clunky mess here. It's, it's like the, it's like the jetpack that George Clooney is developing at the beginning of the movie as a kid. There's something mm-hmm. missing there. And sadly, there's no Raffi Cassidy. It's like put the right piece in the right place to make yeah. it function. Um, and like I said, uh, the stuff with Raffi Cassidy and Clooney is so fascinatingly irksome that, like, I was never quite bored in this movie, but when I wasn't intrigued by an individual sequence, I was just in engaged puzzlement at what was going on at every turn, (laughs) (laughs) truly. But, Brian, be the optimistic boy. Tell us your final thoughts on uh, Tomorrowland. Yeah, I mean, I am much more positive than you guys on this movie. I, I still do find it to be pretty fun for the most part. I, I like the sort of retrofuturistic kind of aesthetics that it's using. I like the idea that, you know, again, I'm, I'm just fascinated by that idea of like, remember when we all thought that, you know, technology was going to make the future a better place and not like, you know, Twitter <laughs> It's just awful. <laughs> like, you know, it, it is, it's a fascinating idea to me, especially kind of at that point of like, you know, the forties, fifties, kind of that, like that age. And, but again, all the, and all the real world stuff in this movie is handled in a very Disney fashion, even though I kind of, I did defend it a bit, but like, it's still a Disney movie. It's not really, it's not like, this is the first, this is not similar to this movie in any way, but like it's not first reformed in the way that it's talking about like you know our society these days and like kind of the way that climate change and everything is ruining the world. Imagine if Britt Robertson went on a road trip with Ethan Hawke from First Reformed. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Listen, she'll be just like how I was when I was watching the movie. <laughs> what, uh, she'll so, offer him Pepto Bismol and malt liquor in the same. Just yeah. Like I well, had to sit down and just reflect for like forty-five minutes. <laughs> Like, even Hugh Laurie would be bummed out after speaking to Ethan Hawke for a second. Just, Jesus, man. Instead of the, like, will God forgive us for what we've done to this? Will Walt forgive us for what we've done to Tomorrowland or something? I don't know. Um, By the way, a thing that was edited out of this movie, there was really going to be a lot more mention of, like, basically him being the fifth member of Plus Ultra, the secret society, Walt Disney. <laughs> and Disney was very strongly like, let's not do that. Let's yeah. let's not have that be a part of this. <laughs> let's not have Walt be like, well, we should make Epcot now. Let, we can still do it, guys. Man, if we get an Epcot movie. <laughs> uh, but sorry, Brian, continue with your final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, so I like a lot of the elements of this movie. I, I like a lot of the Brad Bird elements, like a lot of the gadget and sci-fi stuff. But yeah, it, it feels, like you guys have been saying, like it, it just doesn't come together it feels like something's missing and like like you Shaquille I really want to love this movie like I really want to like love it I want and like 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 you Thomas I was hoping to come here be like this movie is actually a masterpiece and you we need to reclaim it and all this stuff but I, I think it's good and I think it's very weird and interesting and I especially find it interesting because this is kind of like we mentioned like the last really of them doing this kind of thing like you know they don't really do a lot of this kind of stuff anymore i'm trying to think of like the last thing that was like this even uh 
when when they do have they have to sneak it into like another thing like i would argue guardians of the galaxy volume 2 has a lot of similarities to this movie but the mm-hmm. difference is they just make it like actually cohere to like a marvel sort of formula but also make it consistently weird and engaging and colorful right. as opposed to having drax and mantis like in a car <laughs> go to like to ego's planet yeah yeah and but that, yeah, so I find a lot of that stuff, like, it, it doesn't work a lot of it, especially in that third act, which I think, like, as much as I kind of am intrigued by its ideas, I think it does grind the movie to a halt, where anyone who was, like, excited to see Tomorrowland, when you get to that sequence, it's like, what the f- what, what the hell is this? This is, like, not what I was expecting. Where's the wonder and the excitement and all of this stuff? And, like, but I, I don't know. I find it interesting as, like, Again, the last vestige of, like, Disney making $150 million movies that are, like, vaguely tied to IP they own, right? Like, this is, again, like, you mentioned this earlier, Thomas, like, it's not really about Tomorrowland. It's just kind of loosely based off of that, which I like. I, I find that interesting. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of an odd one in Brad Bird's career as well. And um, I don't know. I'd be curious to see him return to live action. But, um I, yeah, I, I'm curious to see whatever he does, but it, it yeah, a weird, weird movie. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, given how the, we didn't mention this, but on that 190 million dollar budget, made 209 million. Yeah, internationally, it, it was like a worldwide. Big flop. It was a massive big flop. flop. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Brad will get another chance to sadly do a live action movie, but who knows what the future will hold for him. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> well, thank you, Shaquille. I have to deal with this all week. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> to deal with these jokes all the time. Uh, but after that rapturous applause, let's get to our weekly segment, Between the Lines. So uh, every episode, Brian, myself, and a guest, if they uh, so choose, uh, will recommend another film that, you know, is either related to the movie that we're talking about today in some way, or could be an alternate choice for the particular letter, in this case, E for Egregious, uh, that we're, uh, you know, talking about for this particular episode. And I'm going to start here um, with another fascinating curiosity that we almost got as our pick uh, for this particular episode, was the alternate choice on the Patreon and you patrons over there at patreon.com slash cinema number two letter, more on that soon, um, uh, voted. And uh, we didn't end up covering it, but I did rewatch it in prep for this. And I find this movie fascinating, even though I would not say it's good. I think it has a similar kind of fascinating train wreck quality to Tomorrowland that I would, uh, I think at least pe- people would be like more engaged maybe with The Country Bears, which came out in 2002 and is... Um, Another film based on a theme park ride, uh, the Country Bear Jamboree, which uh, was opened at Disney World and Disneyland, uh, which I love the fact that this movie was in production and they closed the Country Bear Jamboree in Disneyland nine months before this movie came out. Oh, that's even... Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, fully, 
just not giving it much room. But basically, this movie is about uh, Barry Barrington, our lead character, <laughs> uh, voiced by Haley Joel Osment, who's a, a bear that who was raised as a young boy uh, by Stephen Tobolowski, his father, um, and his brother Eli Martell, uh, who was little uh, Hogarth in The Iron Giant. Oh, oh wow. Yes. Um, and Barry is, like, raised to believe that he's, like, you know, you're, like, a normal kid, even though he's, like, getting old, like, you know, he's getting to, like, you know, 10 or 12 years old, and he's, like, I don't know, I look different than everybody, Dad. I'm, like, hairy, and, like, well, everyone gets hairy, you know, like, your father, and Stephen Tobolowsky, who's bald, uh, which is a very funny bit, but, um, so he's, like, I need to find out, like, where my real origins are, and, um, he ends up becoming a big fan of the Country Bears, who were in this world, an actual band that was very popular in, like, the 70s through, like, the 90s uh, that everyone treated as, like, genuine musicians. There's a bunch of, like, interviews with, like, Willie Nelson at one point. Bruce is like, oh, That's yeah, so I was cool. inspired by the country. <laughs> Jesus this Christ. movie. Like a, like, pop star. Yeah, kind of. Um, but <laughs> uh, so he, Barry decides, like, I'm going to go to Country Bear Hall where the Country Bears used to perform. And the thing is, when he gets there, he sees that, like, oh, no, it's going to be torn down by uh, this evil land developer who wants to buy Country Bear Hall and demolish it, uh, played by Christopher Walken, oh our my villain, God. You know, <laughs> who wants to destroy Country Bear Hall. And Country they Bear have to get together. Hall. Yes. That's my best yes, it's a lot of Oh, no. Country Bear Hall has been crushed. Um, it's a lot of that. And so... Barry's like, oh no, we have to get like the money together so we can save Country Bear Hall, and the only way we can do that is to have a benefit concert. But the thing is, the Country Bears have been broken up for like a decade at this point, so he has to get the band back together. And he goes on a cross-country trip to get all the, the great bears back together. You know, you got Ted Betterhead, you got uh, Trixie St. Clair, Big Al. These are all, by the way, real names of the Country Bear animatronics. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Zeb course. Zuber. As well, <laughs> uh, everyone's favorite. Um, but but yeah, so it, it feels weirdly like it's kind of like a mashup of like the Blues Brothers and Almost Famous. Um, and it's <laughs> literally like him going on this odyssey to get all these bears together while we run into a lot of different celebrity cameos. I want to read some of these cameos because you got Please. Elton John, Queen okay. Latifah, okay. Willie Nelson I mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah. The voices of Bonnie Raitt and Don Henley singing as these bears. And they also okay. appear as cameos as themselves. Um, yes. Uh, exhibit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wycliffe Jean. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> and then you got them, but then at the same time you also have, like, a bunch of other people who, like, are only recognizable to people at that particular time. Like, okay, you've got okay. Crystal... Who sang the main theme song to the Princess Diaries, and oh. Oh and Jennifer God. Page, who sang that song "Crush," like the it's Crush. just a oh little my crush. God, that girl, Crush. yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the one hit wonder who was also like put on the same pedestal as like Elton John. <laughs> just like that oh my God, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's really wild. Um, and also like. There's this whole subplot where, like, Diedrich Bader, who also voices one of the bears, and, uh, oh yeah, Daryl Mitchell um, play cops who are trying to, like, chase the kid down, <laughs> and they get caught in, like, a car wash. It's a weird movie. It's so much, like, an insane movie that I'm very surprised exists, especially when, like, if you look at the animatronics for the bears, yes. 
they look truly terrifying. <laughs> like, like almost like bears who are ready to maul any of the children who appear in this movie. Dude, th- that poster used to scare me as a child. I was yeah. like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yes. So I think it's not a good movie, and it's not quite a sort of so bad it's good movie necessarily, which we've also talked about on the show. But is it I not? Find it, not quite, but at the same time, I just find it incredibly fascinating that this exists and it is on disney plus unlike tomorrowland <laughs> disney's like <laughs> so no weird. put this out there for everybody to see i think it's incredibly fascinating if nothing else it's worth it for walking like there's literally there's a whole sequence where it's just like they let walken do whatever the fuck he wants where like he just sits in his office and he gets models of country bear hall puts it on his desk and then pushes a button so like a giant weight crushes it and he has multiple <laughs> copies of this model <laughs> <laughs> and he crushes like in a row. There's just a whole sequence where it's just like a monster like him saying, Oh no, Country Bear Hall has been crushed. <laughs> and other weird lines like, This is an over, bears. Or the bit where he's just like, Oh, I've been waiting to do this for years, Country Bears. I've been waiting for the right time. And that day is tonight. <laughs> like I- stuff like that. Yes. Crazy. Yes. I am I'm so fascinated by this. Like, I might. You might actually sell me on this. <laughs> I I would say, like, I, once again, go into it not expecting, I think, like, a So Bad It's Good movie or anywhere near a good movie. But yeah. I think go into okay. it just with the aspect of, like, Michael Eisner thought this was going to do way better <laughs> than Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, you. Okay. Which is one of my All favorite right. things. Bet, bet, bet. Right, where he's just like, no, this is this is a smaller budget movie. It's not going over budget like that movie on the water with big ships, whatever. That's going to bomb horribly. Country Bears. That's where it's at, baby. That's the big theme park ride movie everyone's going to go to. Disney in the 2000s, man. <laughs> Crazy. It's wild. But I'm guessing you both have not seen this movie based no. on your reactions. No. No. Listen. You told me why Clef Jean and Exhibit are in a movie about country bears. I I have to see their cameos. We used to have movies in this country. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. It's a weird thing. But Brian, what's your recommendation? Yes. Um, well, you know, Thomas, we, we talk a lot about Disney live action remakes. Yes. And I, I've always said that there's two that I've missed, which are the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella and yes. the Glenn Close 101 Dalmatians from the 90s. Mm-hmm. But there's one that I forgot, and I think everyone else forgot that it exists, so I watched it last night. And this was the 2019 Lady and the Tramp remake, which I just oh. completely forgot existed. Right. And I was like, right. That was like a launch remade. Disney Plus title, if I'm right. It was. Yes. And then I think yeah. the pandemic kind of washed it away from everyone's memories, but... I watched it, and um, it's bad. Um, <laughs> it is very unhinged from for the just because it's live action dogs, kind of like there's a lot of elements where like you can tell they just got real dogs to just do the thing, like walk around. But then there's like elements where they need there's parts where they need to emote, like their faces, and you can tell it's like a weird CGI face on like a dog. It, it's so unsettling from a visual perspective and also it's just a really bad remake of lady and the tramp like it it, it is li- the basically the same plot but way longer it's like almost two hours long and it doesn't need to be it, it's sort of 
falls to the same traps as other Disney live action remakes of like just adding more stuff, more plot where you don't need to. Um, I will say one of the, there are two kind of bright spots of this movie. One, Yvette Nicole Brown, who really breathes life into this movie. And when she's not on screen, I, I, I miss her because she's just so great and just adds so much character and life to a scene in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Thomas Mann plays like the, the, the father figure, like the owner. He's like the kid from, um, he was in like uh, uh, Me and Project Earl and Dying. Yeah, yeah. And, right. like, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl and kind of stuff like yes. that. I, I, I like him a lot, but it's not a great movie. It's quite hideous. Um, Ken Jong does a, a cameo, which is. Oh, well, here's the thing. When it comes to Ken Jong, he's either gonna be good or the worst thing in the movie. No, like no in between. <laughs> yeah, he's not great. It, he's he's only thankfully in it for one scene. Um, what I will say is, F. Murray Abraham plays like the uh, Tony, like the guy who owns the restaurant or whatever, and he does a little song, which is kind of fun. But does yeah. he go full Italian accent? God, I don't think he does. Then get the fuck out of my Maybe. face. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I want Earth Murray Abraham going full pizza box, Mamma Mia pizzeria. He, do, he has a mustache, but it's not as like, you know, it's not like the curly Italian kind of mustache you you oh, want. Failure. Um, How dare you? Yeah. But have you guys seen this movie? Do, do you even remember this no. movie? <laughs> I forget. Like you said, I forgot it existed. Like the only thing yeah. I remember from it was that like it was... Tessa Thompson and Justin Theroux as like Lady oh, in the yeah. Tramp. That's the Horrible only thing casting. I remember. Anything else, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, this voice cast is insane where you got them, but also Sam Elliott, who uh Ashley Jensen. Sam Elliott <laughs> Janelle Monet is asleep Jesus. in the in the booth recording it. <laughs> like literally asleep, where he's just like oh, I don't know, you gotta just uh like that's his entire performance. <laughs> Benedict Wong voices a bulldog named Bull. Oh my okay. god! <laughs> Benedict Wong. I, once again, Benedict Wong being underused, and improperly used. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm curious. I'm guessing they don't go with the cats like previously. Well, oh, the they Siamese do. Cats? Yeah, oh, the no. cats are in the movie. Wait. However, they okay. don't do the Siamese cats thing, of course. Okay. They do have the song where like they mess up the ha- the room, right? And like they blame it on Lady. They have that mm-hmm. song, like a little song. Obviously, they don't do the Siamese cats thing. But then they don't do anything with the cats, weirdly enough, which hmm, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um hmm. but it's yeah, and they're also like the cats are singing, so it's very uncanny and very awful. Um yeah, not great. Um, which, and, and is unfortunate because it's, it's directed by Charlie Bean, who I, I was looking up, he worked as like a, a storyboard artist for like Samurai Jack, which I love One of my, I mm-hmm. adore that show. And he also mm-hmm. directed like the Lego Ninjago movie, which I didn't see, but I heard was pretty good actually. But yeah, I, it's not great. It's just another case of these live action remakes not needing to exist. And it makes no sense why you would do this one i mean like why the talking dogs one i don't know it, it makes no sense to me um well, especially like in a modern world where like obviously we don't want to like have any kind of trouble with like animals on set 
at this point. Right. So, like, their decision is to just make, I guess, mostly CG dogs, but there are real dogs. You can, like, kind of tell that they're real dogs a little bit, like, when they're just walking, like, around and stuff. But, like, anytime they're talking or together, they do the spaghetti scene. It's very weird. Um, anytime they're doing that, it's very, it, it just looks really weird and ugly. And also, oh, I forgot to mention that this movie is co-written by Andrew Buj- I don't know how to say his last name. Bujalski? Bujalski? Who made um, Support the Girls, which is a phenomenal Oh, movie. what? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yes. Who, uh, yeah, he, he co-wrote this movie, and um, I don't see any of his, you know, I love him, no disrespect to him, but I don't see any of his, like, style in this. I mean, the leads are just really mismatched and have no chemistry together, and, like, I 100% think that every person who did like the voice for this they were not in the same room together when they did this like this is pre-pandemic so they could have but there's no way any of these people are in the same room and it it's just but does it feel like they're in like their bathroom specifically recording lines <laughs> yes it feels like i mean sam elliott especially he's like in bed with his like night you know he's got the cat just, like, <laughs> recording he's lines. reading a western novel while he's also recording the lines <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah a bad movie and also just a movie that everyone's forgotten about because they dumped it onto onto disney plus which is like kind of unfortunate by the way because like i I imagine if you're one of these actors like it would have been interesting maybe to have the like oh this is going to come out in theaters but instead it gets dumped on disney plus and uh and no one really remembers it um yep yeah so that's my that's my pick (laughs) Mm -hmm. well shaquille i'm curious what's your pick all right, so my pick. So I know you, well, yeah, what you had mentioned, like you could recommend a thing that's kind of similar in theme uh, and maybe something like a good version of that. So I was taking a look at it like almost pretty literally. So I was looking at Tomorrowland, a big, expensive sci-fi adventure with a retro-futuristic aesthetic that they bet big on and it bombed horribly. If you want the good version of that, watch Treasure Planet. Yeah, Treasure Planet, Planet <laughs> is maybe my second favorite Disney animated movie. Like it's it's top two. That and Lion King essentially jump neck and neck with each other. Like it depends on the day. I might say the other one or the other. But Treasure Planet is absolutely like a fucking masterpiece. Um, just yeah, adapting Treasure Island into the sci-fi aesthetic. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as like um, fucking Jim Hawkins. I love this whole entire ensemble, but yeah, between Joseph Gordon-Levitt, David Hyde Pierce, even a character like Martin Short's character Ben, like the robot, the wisecracking robot, you would think would be a character that would get on my nerves, but he was actually pretty endearing to me, surprisingly so. Um, And, oh, especially though, Brian Murray is John John Silver. I love this interpretation of Silver so much. (laughs) Like, he, like, as, like, the the father figure who might be like who might screw him over maybe not i love it i love the soundtrack i love just everything about this movie was just so perfectly done the problem was the timing of it was it was just released at the wrong time because i think it came out like either a week before or after harry potter started so it was already Mm. just bound to be swept under like the fucking ashes of that movie (laughs) um 
it's it still feels fairly underrated like i know people it has a cult following now but it still feels very underrated in the grand uh like scheme of disney animated flicks like atlantis gets more attention than treasure planet does nowadays <laughs> and i like atlantis but it's still no treasure planet to me at the very least atlantis has like a direct video sequel this doesn't all it had was like Everything it got at launch. So it got like a video game that no one remembers. It got toys. Again, no one remembers. Treasure Plant to me is just masterful all around. I fucking adore this movie. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't see it in theaters, even though I was kind of like the exact age group they were aiming for. Because like, like all of the marketing was so e- emphasizing. I'm like, he has a hoverboard that he rides around like a and skateboard. It's so sick. It's so it is. sick. It absolutely is. Right. <laughs> right, but at the time, I even remember feeling like, oh, they're, it feels like they're kind of trying to pander to me, and I'm too <laughs> smart for this. I'm like 10. I get what you're doing, Disney. This isn't working for me. And I didn't see it until like several years later, and uh, yeah, I think it's very underrated. I think especially, I think it kind of got caught up in the fact that because it was such a big bomb, it was kind of seen as like one of the movies that helped destroy 2D animation um, yes. at the time, which to be fair, I think is more just like, what was going on at that particular time but between like that and like home on the range like they were like Oof. not giving a lot to those 2d animated movies at that particular time i think kind of got a bad rap for that uh because i think it is a solid adaptation of treasure island and i do agree with you i like a lot of the characters particularly uh, emma thompson who plays like the captain who's like yeah, this weird kind of like, cat creature wonderfully designed and i think like a lot of it's a great blend also of like 2d and cg in that rare, like, time period, like, you're talking about, like, Atlantis, or even Iron Giant has a bit of that, too, where it's, like, I miss that kind of, like, yeah. 2D matched with, like, a sort of 2D aesthetically similar CG that I think mm. I would have loved to have seen more of those kind of movies, especially, like, this one. I would, I would agree, very underrated, I think, in the Disney canon. Absolutely. And, like, I... God, that, yeah, that, I mean, that last point you made about, like, the CGI, the C, like, early CG is really interesting. Like, it, it, it reminds me of just, like, like, playing old video games from, like, the PS2, PS1 era. Like, that sort of, like, right. novelty mm-hmm. factor of just how, like, you know, there is a, a real, like, beauty to that, um, done properly, obviously. And, like, yeah, this was kind of, like, so I, a few years ago, like, watched all 60-whatever Disney animated movies in a row, and this was Jeez. the one that, yeah, I know, it took me, like, three months, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, this was the one where I, I remember when this came out, I was very young, but I remember seeing, like, trailers for it. I think I, like, got toys from it from, like, Burger King or McDonald's or something, even though I hadn't, like, seen the movie, but um, watching it years later, I was, like, really blown away by it. Like, I I was like, wow, I, I had always thought of it as, like, a, a misfire for Disney and, like, oh, it's not... It's it's a weird kind of like whatever we don't really talk about that movie that much. It's weird. It's not that good. But I, yeah, I thought it was great. I kind of already want to rewatch it. Like just us talking about it right now, I want to watch yeah. that movie. <laughs> and like you're right, Thomas. It is kind of during this time of like in the 2000s where Disney is making some like real garbage, like Home on the Range and like Dinosaur and stuff like that. But this comes in like that period of like Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, Lilo and Stitch, and then Treasure Planet. It's like, I personally, I'm more of a fan of the post-Renaissance era than I am of the actual Renaissance era. So yeah, like Emperor's New Groove and Lilo and Stitch. But again, they're taking wild swings. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, And like Treasure Planet is that for me where like, I remember watching it like when I did a couple years ago, like being like, this is so weird. And not like any of this, the Renaissance stuff that they've made before. It feels so like 
it feels kind of new and it feels like it is kind of a real like 21st century like you know disney trying to make something in the 21st century um so yeah i also love treasure planet i want to watch treasure planet and like <laughs> soon now <laughs> also also i want to shout out because i'm i'm normally not a fan of this band but the Goo Goo Dolls, I'm Still Here, is such a badass song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true, yeah. The moment Goo Goo Dolls played when I saw this, I'm like, oh, fuck, this is so early 2000s. <laughs> um, <laughs> dude, I'm like, put me on that boat. I want to just sail the stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. But all right, let's uh, let's repeat the tiles for everybody out there in case so, you know they want to add them to their watch list or have any kind of curiosity. Uh, my pick was the 2002... Very fascinating Disney film, The Country Bears. Uh, yes, my mine was the 2019 Lady and the Tramp remake. And mine was the also 2002, the incredibly underrated Treasure Planet. And uh, on that note, we're going to start getting to our end here. But, uh, you know, we got to thank some people before we get to the very end. We got to thank people like Burial Grid for our intro music and all of our music on the show. Uh, purchase his music at BurialGrid.com. Thanks to Michelle Kyle for our artwork. Find her at MishKyle96 uh, on Twitter. And uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash cinema number two letter, where for just $1 a month, you get to, you know, have access to bonus stuff that we record and also vote for individual movies that we cover, like at least one of them per season, like this one. You all chose Tomorrowland, so thank you all patrons for doing that. And uh, some of the bonus audio that you'll be uh, hearing in the future... Um, we would have recently recorded some stuff about, uh, you know, like some big releases in November. We're going to be doing that again in December, like a big review roundup thing where we talk about some of the big Oscar movies. And uh, also you'll be able to hear um, our top 10 Disney songs. That's our big bonus one. Okay. Uh, so from any kind of Disney product that's including the theme parks, TV shows, the movies, top 10 songs, uh, which we'll be very curious to record. And uh, yeah, all of that for just the $1 a month. Um, and of course, we got to thank our buddy Shaquille. Thank you so much for being on the show, Shaquille. Yes, really oh, appreciate you. it. Listen, thank you for inviting me. Like this was a lot of fun. I always love recording with you, Thomas. Brian, dude, it's been so much fun talking to you too, man. Oh, thank you. You too. It was <laughs> so nice to meet you. And also, you mentioning Treasure Planet as your pick really just like. You gained so much respect for me listen, with that. We, listen, we out here. Listen, <laughs> we are now. We, listen, we're square for the Prometheus thing from earlier. We're good. <laughs> I love it when an arc can happen in a podcast, about especially a movie that doesn't have a lot of arcs in it. But um, Shaquille, please promote yourself. Please uh, plug. Um, where, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me pretty much every social media at Shaq Excellence. S H A K Excellence. So yeah, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, you can find my writing over at cgmagonline.com where I review uh, a lot of movies, uh, usually like, yeah, whatever's the big new releases and stuff like that. Um, even though the podcast is on hiatus, my podcast sequels, I will always plug it because it's one of my favorite things I've ever done with a, a podcast where we talk about directed video sequels to movies. That's S-E-E-Q-U-E-L-S. So you can find that anywhere podcasts or you can listen to podcasts. Including so you did a couple of Disney directed video sequels. We have. Right, we've right? done like the we've done The Little Mermaid two, we've done Mulan two, we've done um George of the Jungle two. Um <laughs> I feel like there's there's been a we've done a sizable amount of like Disney stuff. Yes. Uh, so if you're all curious, oh, those are some fun apps. Great podcast. Dude, Can't yeah, wait they're, they're whenever so it comes good. back, I'm listening. 
Yes. I know. I know. Listen, our lives are all so busy now, dude. Yes. <laughs> right. But um, for more of us and our rinky-dink operation that's still going on, uh, you can find us uh, at Cinema Number Two Letter on various platforms like Instagram or Facebook or whatever we're calling Twitter these days. Uh, whatever we're letter the alphabet we changed to. Don't call it no X. Yeah, we ain't calling no still X. Twitter. <laughs> still Twitter. <laughs> it's the dying day. It's Twitter. Uh, we're at Cinema Number Two Letter on all those places. And you can find me on Twitter or Letterbox at not the who's Tommy. And you also do some writing at uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. At film-cred.com. Yeah, and you can find me on on Twitter as well. Still, sometimes at uh, b r y a n d r a d e and the number three, uh, or you can follow me on Letterboxd, where I'm much more active, watching a bunch of movies and uh, making a bunch of lists. So follow me on there. And uh, for more of our audio stuff, please uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, either whatever platform. Uh, if you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows, including sequels, another Talk Film Society show. Um, and uh, you can also uh, dig into our archives and our Podbean feed for, you know, the first two seasons and all the old double-edged, double bill stuff. All that is available there. And nothing else, if you can't, you know, support us on the Patreon for that dollar, it's cool. Money can always be tight. The free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around to give us more visibility so uh, we can invite more dreamers to our Tomorrowland, where, I don't know, we just sit around and talk about movies. Yeah, you got that little pin we sent you, right? <laughs> right. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's uh, somewhere. It's lost in the mail, you know? <laughs> Listen, the import fees are crazy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> uh, but on that note, we should at least tease our next episode, our penultimate episode of our Disney series. It's our M for Masterpiece. And uh, we're getting festive. For the holiday season, our big holiday episode, we are covering The Muppet Christmas Carol, which that's Hell right. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, we never talked about Muppets that much, Shaquille. I don't know. You, you dig the Muppets? I love the Muppets. Like, the Muppets are, like, one of those things where I can't exactly be objective about because I love them mm -hmm. too much. Like, even if they're bad, they're still pretty good. <laughs> right. Yes, for sure. And Muppet Christmas Carol, a very interesting one to talk about, especially because I, in my Muppet-loving ways have converted Brian to at least watch the first three yeah. movies. Yeah, hell yes. And now I, you're uh, diving into wait, Christmas wait, Carol. Are you excited? Were you a, wait, 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 wait. Were you a Muppet hater? Well, no, 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 no. Nowhere near a Muppet hater, but I, I had okay. never seen, like, the movies. I had, like, I've probably seen the show, but, like, I, I, I more grew up with them as, like, the kind of, um, they're an American institution, like the Looney Tunes. Gotcha. Right? Like, you know. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I have now seen, yeah, the first three movies, and I, I love them, love the Muppets. I cannot wait to talk about the Muppets next week. Yeah, and especially because you have not seen Christmas Carol yet. Yeah, so that's the, the next one in my, like, lineup, and it's very convenient that we're, we're doing that one. So, right, because yeah. you were watching these in like the summer, and you're like, I'm not gonna watch Christmas Carol in like June. Right, yeah, it was it <laughs> yeah. very weird to watch that one, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yes, but we'll be talking all about that next time. Until then, everybody, uh, just hold on for the future, I guess. I don't know, or just sit in your fucking abandoned Tomorrowland and bitterly <laughs> snipe at people when they try and tell you they love Mad Max Fury Road. Like, how dare you! Stop it! <laughs> Listen. Damon Lindelof, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and I'll, pro scrap. I'll protect him like the Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs>